Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And here we are. It's uh, 2021. And again, I'm starting off the year with amazing heart-centered leaders. I'm excited today to introduce you to Tommy Thompson. He was referred to me through a colleague that I met on LinkedIn. He's the author of a new book called Space to Breathe Again. And just to give you a little context of who he is, he is truly a Stuart leader. He's a heart-centered leader. He loves to learn. He loves to teach. He loves to write. He loves to speak. He lives in Richmond, Virginia. And we're going to talk to him about education, life experience, family life. He's got his Master's of Divinity degree from university. He's an entrepreneur. I could go on and on. It's just, it's such a pleasure for me. So Tommy, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, Deb. It's just great to join you today. And I've been looking forward to our time together. I have as well. And I am halfway through your book and I I don't want to do a spoiler alert because we will talk about it. So I'm going to jump right into my leadership questions if you're ready. Absolutely. You truly are from an academic and educational standpoint. You have chosen to be a steward, a servant leader. Can you share with our listeners when you knew or decided to really become a servant or a heart-centered leader? Well, I think it's always kind of been wired in to me uh, just because my faith has been an important part of my life since I was teenage years. And so I, I think from the beginning, I realized that whatever I did, uh, whatever I accomplished, that it was, wasn't about me, that there was something you know bigger going on, uh, much, much bigger. So I think that was kind of wired into me from the beginning. But even beyond that, uh, about, 27, 28 years ago, went through a process of really trying to discern my call in life, my mission in life. And I think really as I, as I realized that I'm wired and I feel like I'm called to be a teacher, that uh, that's just about giving to other people. It's having impact on other people. And, and I'm really just a small part of that picture. Well, and, and I think the flip side to that is is observing it and, and the willingness to, to follow that call. And I think that's what's been attributable to all of your success. I know that you talk about finishing school and then going into business with your brother. And I know you've had at least three decades of partnership and you've 
You've operated businesses in the manufacturing sector, the retail sector, and even real estate. And it's interesting how you can see those transferable skills of servant leadership, heart-centered leadership in each of those sectors. So my next question regarding that is, what imperfections have you brought to your heart-centered leadership over these last three decades? Well, I think that's such a, it's such a good question. I, I think in reality, that's all I've ever brought to my leadership is the imperfections. And I, I can hardly think of anything that I've ever wanted to communicate, that I've ever wanted to teach, that didn't come out of first a failing, first an inadequacy. And so I feel like constantly life is teaching me about places that I need to grow, which means places that I've fallen short. And that's what people relate to. That's where we all need help. And so, you know, at the beginning, I think it's, it's about uh, sharing our imperfections and the places we all commonly need uh, to grow. Uh, so one story that uh, I think of related to this, it's a piece of wisdom that I heard years ago when I was in the retail business. We had a consultant come down because we didn't know what we were doing in retail and he was trying to help us. And we stood in one of our stores and he looked around at the racks of clothes and he addressed me and my brother and he said, you know, in retail, you're going to be wrong 100% of the time. He said, you're gonna have the wrong color, you're gonna have the right, wrong size uh, assortment, you're gonna to have too many, too little. He said, the key in retail is to be wrong in the right direction. And when I heard that, it was like, as a teacher, my jaw dropped. I just went, that's life. We're never going to be perfect. The key, the best we can do is to try to be imperfect in the right direction. And I love that just as a thought for the way I lead my life, the way I parent as a husband, as a teacher, that it's not about getting it all perfect. It's just trying to be in that right direction. Well, and like you said, that falling forward lets go of perfection, which is never a tangible reality. And if we strive for progression, even when we're falling forward, it's still a decision, it's still an action, it's still moving us in the right way. So I love that. And I love that you said you bring all your perfections. I get many different responses to that question. And many of my guests have said, Deb, we don't have enough time. So, so good for you for saying you pack them all up and bring them. I haven't had that one yet. So really enjoyed that answer. Now, I'd, oh. love, I'd love to move in and talk about your book, and I would love to allow you to share the story of why you wrote this book, because as much as I would like to share it with the listeners, I think when you're interviewing someone, a big proponent of someone's story is giving them the respect to tell that part of their life. So would you share with us where this book came from and kind of how you really leaned in with your heart-centered approach here? Sure, thanks, thanks so much. Uh, well, really along the lines of what we've been saying, you know, the book 
has come out of the two most major crises uh, in my life, one of my own doing, one not so much of my own doing. Uh, but I can remember right about 30 years ago, um, as I was kind of moving into that uh, adult stage of life and uh, had finished seminary and joined my brother in business. And at that particular time, we had four different businesses going at the same time, two in Richmond and two out of, outside of Richmond. And uh, they were exciting and I was attempting to do and to run those businesses as best I could, as ethically as I could. Um, at the same time, uh, we were getting our family and my daughter had been born. And at the same time, because I love teaching, I was very involved uh, at church on every level from teaching a weekly uh, Sunday, adult Sunday school class to being an elder, to being on a search committee, heading up a Christian education committee. And I was running, um, just running like a chicken with a head cut off. And soon it kind of got to the place where I realized that I was going so hard and trying to put on such a good face and I'd get home and I was just exhausted and exhausted and miserable. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong uh, because I was doing good things. And I can remember at one point when one of the businesses started to falter a little bit, lying in bed one night and feeling like I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. I can remember feeling like the room was spinning around me and that the, the bed was just gonna cave in. And I absolutely had no idea what to do because I wasn't doing anything wrong. There weren't any easy, immediate steps. So I woke up the next morning and just began and just by the grace of God, I, I came across a book writ, uh, by Richard Swenson called Margin. And for the first time he introduced, at least the first time to me that I could remember, he introduced this thought that God doesn't want for us to lead overloaded, overwhelmed, stressed out lives. And that completely defined my life at that point. And he began to lay out a little bit of a different picture of what the abundant life looked like. And so my wife and I, we began to lean into that and to create some space in our lives. And we found that life began to just very, very slowly get turned upside down. And we began to experience a little joy again and some deeper relationship, um, just began to experience some peace. And so we began to walk that, you know, more and more and, and teach about it. And what we didn't realize is, is that the most important reason for creating space in our life was kind of soon to come. And that was in 2010 when out of nowhere, my 20 year old daughter who was a, a sophomore in college was diagnosed with stage four kidney cancer. Um, the worst, certainly one of the worst things you can ever imagine happening. Uh, we had two sons who were younger than her and in an absolute moment's time, life got turned completely upside down. Uh, if it hadn't been 
for the practices of creating space in our life, I knew we never would have survived those years. Uh, it was six and a half years of uh, just brutal everyday doctor's appointments, scans, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, immunotherapy. In the midst of it, amazing things happened. She graduated from college, was married, uh, so unbelievably full of joy, just defined her life. But it was also just unbearably hard. Uh, she died the day after Thanksgiving in 2016. I backed way off of work because I knew I needed every bit of space. And all of a sudden I realized that there are just so many people that are just living stressed out lives that don't even have storms going on. And so I, I realized how important it was to share this message that kind of the core ingredient of an abundant life is creating space where we can breathe, space where we can uh, have deep relationships, space where we can find purpose and where we can find God. And in every way that space was kind of that core ingredient that kind of makes life work. And so that was what led me to say the time's come that I, I, I need to write this story, need to give people these practical tips to help them fight against kind of the riptide of, of culture these days. Oh, I'm just, uh, I'm just embracing your words. And I shared with you when we were chatting before the interview, I, I, I have had a tremendous amount of loss in, in my life as well. And, you know, I don't know who said it, but, but grief is, is love with no place to go. And, and I think that place is, is what you're talking about that space that we can just draw the line in the sand and create we can just stop and breathe and as a yoga teacher i don't have to tell you the easiness and just in a moment how a breath can just allow that space to happen and i could feel your heart talking about your daughter and it's, it's such a deep level of grit and resilience that you just, you know your truth and it can't always be verbally expressed to someone. But what I love the most is you've taken all the transferable skills out of that to continue to be the teacher, the student, to walk forward with your stewardship, your servant leadership, your heart-centered leadership, and continue to be that, that student of life. And I just want to commend you because people who've not experienced this, or even our listeners who have, grief is, is, is the start of the line. And when you allow the space to step into bereavement, the journey from grief to mourning is very personal and there's no timeline there's no lineage it's it's one breath at a time and and allowing for that space so i just want to okay. commend you on 
what a beautiful legacy for your daughter and what a beautiful space that you've put yourself in, in your own life. Well, thank you. Um, you know, we just celebrated, I guess celebrated is a strange word, but the fourth anniversary of when my daughter Perrin uh, died just a, a few weeks ago. And uh, she was one of the most joy-filled human beings, not one of the most, she was the most joy-filled human being that I've ever known throughout my life and learned so much from her. And her story impacted so many, just thousands of people. And I just consider it a privilege to, to share. And I know that, you know, for so many people, one of the last things they want when they're grieving is any space. It terrifies them. They don't know. But yet, I've learned that if you push through that emptiness that is a part of grief and that space and that silence, that that's where healing begins and where healing happens. Indeed. And, and it's so, so personal. And I'm just, I'm grateful for you to have that courage that you have to be able to stand in that space to share your heart with us. Because I know as parents, uh, my parents lost my brother to asbestos cancer. And they say it's the deepest grief of any grief on earth is when a parent has to bury a child. So I'm grateful to you for having that strength and, and sharing your heart because it's, it's a process. And like you said, it's, it's time and it's a lineage of time and you have to fall forward like you talked about and, yes. and you have to lean into it. But I think it's continued to strengthen your call to serve and really be even more of an authentic heart-centered leader. Well, it's multiplied it, you know, after parent died, it was, uh, I've had a lot of uh, businesses and some have gone, you know, reasonably well, but it was, you know, I want the rest of my life to be devoted to trying to, you know, impact people for good and, and for God. And uh, that's just my passion in life. And, you know, uh, I look forward to, you know, a lot of years and look forward to seeing the, the many, many ways that God's going to redeem, you know, what was, you know, without question, the hardest experience I can ever imagine going through. Well, I'm grateful that you had the courage to come on and talk about it. It's not easy. And I'm sure the more you do it, people may think it's easier, but I think a little part of your, your heart is given every time you talk about it. And I, I totally, I totally empathize with you on that. My last leadership question is you've created an assessment called life renovation. And I know and feel that Perrin was likely instrumental in, in that being developed. Share with us where that came from. And what do you enjoy the most about reviewing those assessments and helping other people? 
Well, I'm a, I'm a big believer in putting things down on paper, um, that when things just mull in our minds, they, they mull with a lack of clarity to them. And so one of, one of my favorite uh, speakers and teachers is Andy Stanley, and he talks about the PATH principle. And the PATH principle says we got to know where we're beginning, and we need to know where we're going in order to go down the right path to get there. And so the life renovation assessment is about doing some honest internal work across the broad categories of our life to, to see how we're doing, you know, um, and I'm amazed at how often when people take that assessment, they come out of it surprised. They come out of it with an insight that you'd think they're just expressing their own minds that they'd know exactly what they're thinking, but they, they, they either say, wow, I'm doing better than I thought, or wow, I didn't realize how hard this area of my life is. And so, you know, the beginning, I think of creating space of, of renovating our lives, uh, our cluttered, uh, messy lives is, is doing that honest work of saying, well, where are we right now? And so uh, I found that to be very useful for myself, a process I just regularly go through of stepping back and saying, you know, how am I doing? Where, where do I need to grow? Uh, what needs to change in my life? Um, and I find that that process for others is often the beginning place of, of growth in their lives. Well, that's beautiful. And I wanted to ask you before we switch over to our fun Fab Four questions, when you chose your daughter's name, did you know the origin and meaning of parent? Oh, now you've intrigued me because it's my middle name. That's the origin that I, I knew of. Uh, so no, uh, I don't actually, other than that it went you know, several generations back in my family, the origin of the word and the name, I did not know. So it's, it's a unisex name because you have it as your middle name. So it can be a boy's name or a girl's name. It derives from the English and it actually, the meaning of the word, the name Perrin is rock. Oh my goodness. Kind of takes the breath away from me. Uh, so strength, you know. courage, tenacity, resilience. And I was so intrigued with the name. I, I wanted to look it up. And it's interesting that that is who your daughter was and that is who you are. And that's, that's just so beautiful. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, Perrin was probably the slightest, smallest, most soft-spoken uh, person that you might meet, but you know, in those cancer years, she was a rock beyond anybody's imagination in terms of how she walked through those years. And uh, I, I can't wait to share that with uh, with my wife. Well, that's that's beautiful, and I just something was. Uh... Something was telling me I needed to look up that name when I did my research. So I'm, I always listen to my intuition. So there you go. Thank you. 
I'm going to switch gears and ask you what I call my fab four. And these are just four fun questions. And it's whatever's sitting on the top of your mind. Are you ready? It's a little scary what's on the top of my mind, but I'll give it a try. <laughs> okay, first question. Tell us the best lesson that you've learned in your life. That life is found when we give ourselves space to breathe. Absolutely. So much that you even wrote a book on it. Absolutely. <laughs> Second question. If you had to sit down with the 14-year-old version of Tommy, what advice would you give him? Um, I would give him advice that my dad gave me when I was just kind of entering into uh, adulthood. Uh, and he said not to take life so seriously. And I realized that I have a very driven nature, a very competitive nature. Um, and yet, you know, somehow at times because of that can so easily miss the joys and the experiences and the adventures of life. And that happens sometimes as I take myself a little less seriously and enjoy the journey. Oh, I love that. I often talk about that at the end of the podcast. Third question. If I asked you to give me one word to describe the year 2020, what word would you give me and why? I think I would use perhaps the word test. Uh, I think that this year has challenged people and tested people, tested their resolve, tested their character, tested their values and priorities, uh, tested their courage in ways that very few times have ever done so. In some cases that has exposed people, some cases people have shined in the midst of the test, but I feel like the entire year, and even as this continues, continues to kind of be a test of, of what's within us. Absolutely, I've, I've had, I had so many different words when I asked people that last year in 2020, and I wanted to spill it over into 2021 just because we're still in it. It's still a bit mucky, but I think it is a test. And I've had a lot of people say it's been a pause, it's been a reset. So I love that. And my last question is, what do you want your legacy to be? Uh, you know, that's such a fascinating question and one that I, I wrestle with because in in a lot of ways, I feel like uh, legacy is over my pay grade. You know, it, it's it's not what I need to be worrying about. It's, uh, you know, that's, that's really, in my opinion, it's, it's God's business and whatever my legacy is, uh, you know, or whatever I might strive for my legacy to be, I think what maybe it truly is, is a different thing. I think what I, I really hope perhaps would be a legacy, if I were to use those words, is that would, people would see me as a faithful person, uh, faithful to my wife, 
faithful to my kids, faithful to God's call on my life, faithful to him. And that, that faithfulness would be something that they would see that would last, you know, to, to my last day, however long that is. And then what, what chooses to come from that, I'm, I'm comfortable with letting go of that. Well, that's beautiful. And I'm, I just want to say, I'm so grateful that you sent me your book. I am halfway and I'm looking forward to finishing it. A lot of what I talk about is heart-centered leadership, but, but the foundation or the languaging is always about self-care. So I love that you've created space in your life to breathe and I'm just very, very happy that our paths have crossed. It's been an honor to spend some time with you today on the podcast. And thank you for being a heart-centered leader and sharing your time and expertise with us. Well, thank you so much. This has been uh, kind of an unexpected joy and pleasure to meet you through this podcast. And uh, I hope we're going to continue to stay connected. Absolutely, we will. And I'm changing it up this year on uh, the ending of our podcast. And I want to leave our listeners with uh, a version of success that I had found in a beautiful picture uh, that I found online. And if you picture the word success, the S will stand for see your goal. The U will stand for understand the obstacles. The C is create a positive mental picture. The next C is clear your mind of self-doubt. The E is for embrace the challenge. The S is for stay on track. And the last S is to show the world that you can do it. So thank you for joining me once again on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Deb Crow. And we will see you again. Thanks for joining us.